Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Gag Nation podcast, a podcast about my life's adventure in music, sports, enterprise, and leisure. Today's episode is called More Best Soundtracks of the 80s and 90s, We Heard You. The last episode, we talked about the best movie soundtracks of the 80s and 90s, and we got some great feedback from the listeners, but we also got some feedback saying like, what were you guys thinking? You missed all kinds of stuff. So what we're going to do is we're going to we're gonna go over some of the stuff that you guys felt like we may have missed. Scotty, he's going to be back. We get into it. I think you're going to dig it. Um, I know it's been a while since we've been putting out episodes, um, but I got a few in the can that we're working on right now, um, and I think you're going to like it, especially if you are into music history. We're doing one on the best live albums of all time. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. Who is it? UFO, ACDC, The Stones, Kiss, The Ramones, Neil Diamond, Hog Agatis Night, uh, Nirvana, Talking Heads, Stop Making Sense, U2, they did a couple of ones, Iron Maiden, Live After Death, Johnny Cash, and there's so much more. We're going to dissect it, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to let you know, the Cag Nation listeners, what the best live album of all time is. Also, the nominees for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame were just announced, and we're going to do an episode around and tell you who we think will be the next inductees. We're going to talk, but now we're going to talk about soundtracks. But of course, I got to do a little bit of housekeeping here. Um, The Gag Nation uh, is available on all major platforms that have podcasts, Spotify, Google, Apple, and more. So go to Gag Nation and subscribe to receive all episodes once I post them. And also go to our Facebook page. I'm putting, um, we talk about a lot of music on the, on the, on the podcast and I'm put, placing a playlist for all the music that we talk about there. So anyways, let's get into more soundtracks now. So we did the great movie soundtracks of the 80s and 90s and based on the feedback from the Gag Nation listeners, you really enjoyed it, but many of you felt like we had some major omissions. So I'm bringing Scotty back out of retirement, and we're going to right the wrong. So, Scotty, you're back. Any thoughts on the Gag Nation listener feedback? Well, the Gag Nation listeners can be tough, Bill, but, you know, we're going to – can't make everybody happy. But, again, we're going to see if we can right some wrongs here. I know. I mean, part of the deal is – we don't want the episodes to be like two hours. We try to keep them under 45 minutes, so sometimes some uh, stuff gets cut out, right? Yep. So just to recap what we covered it on the last episode, I covered three movies, Gross Point Blank, Days and Confused, and The Big Chill. And you covered Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Boogie Nights, and The Crow. Yeah, lots of love for Days and Confused. I got a lot of feedback from it. In fact, my brother-in-law, Mr. Russ, he's also the NBA expert. He loved the soundtrack. He actually went back and watched the movie again. And Jeff Hall, he also told me he loved it. He was into it. And his wife, Dee Dee, she actually loved that we covered the Crow soundtrack. I totally didn't expect that. Yeah, Days and Confused got a lot of love. Um, but also, you know what? I got mentioned uh, on The Matrix, which I never even considered. But, you know, looking at it, looked pretty good. I know. I totally overlooked that one. At Rage Against the Machine, Marilyn Manson, Ministry is pretty heavy. But anyways, we even some other feedback we got. Mona Mostow, she asked, where was Pretty in Pink? And it was one that we considered, right? Yeah, it did. And we did talk about it briefly. Um, but, you know, and John Hughes was a master of bringing already recorded songs into the soundtrack. But, you know, when we dug deep on all the John Hughes stuff, they weren't as deep as some of the other soundtracks we went into. Some big songs, but not as deep overall. Totally agree. John Hughes did a ton for the genre, but I agree with your assessment. I mean, it was it's basically a couple of scores, a couple of throwaway tracks, and two big hits. So we kind of looked at it and said, nah, it doesn't, doesn't make the cut. But one thing we kind of got hammered on was uh, no mention at all or considering a Valley Girl. Yeah, I think we had it on the original list, but we missed it. I know, especially for me, uh, being from L.A., my buddy Jay, he's a big music guy. He just sent me a note after he listened to the episode. He put Valley Girls in all caps with a question mark. Don Bronze, the leader of the 80s cover band, Flashback Heart Attack, he said the 80s begins and ends with Valley Girl. And Jeff Hall, or better known as Halsey, he gave me a, a shit sandwich. He complimented me on the episode, and then he slapped me for not even mentioning Valley Girl. Well, I guess people love it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be getting that kind of outrage. I know. And some other feedback we got by a colleague at work, Linda Lamb, she said to me, if the Gag Nation wants any females to pay attention to what you're doing, maybe you should have mentioned fame or flash dance. And we didn't, right? No, we didn't. And we do want the female membership. But also, 
you know, we're probably not very deep on those two movies. Yep. Scotty, let's get into it. You're going to talk about singles. So lead us off, my man. Great. Well, well, Singles is a Cameron Crowe movie, um, and we talked about it a little bit in the last one as a writer of Fast Times. Um, and this movie is about the Generation Xers. takes place in Seattle during the grunge scene. And the interesting thing about this movie is a couple things. One is it actually takes place right as the scene is happening. Like, I mean, it's not a retro back to looking at 10 years after it happened and kind of rewriting history. This yeah. was kind of it. A lot of musicians in the movie um, like the guys from Pearl Jam, Chris Cornell. So there, there's a lot of, lot of guys in there. There's a fictitious band um, called Citizen Dick. Um, so, you know, it's a, a great name. And, you know, it's funny. That a great name, and, great name. Like you would recommend a band naming themselves that? Yeah, I think, I think it's kind of cool. You don't think it's cool? I mean, you could no. take it in a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to be the, the dirty way you're thinking of it. You know, I Daniel. wouldn't think that. You, all right. I wouldn't think that. Just thought, okay. I just want to get your thoughts on it. Okay, keep going. But you know, like you know, so before I get into the soundtrack, you know, it's basically about a bunch of single people that live in an apartment complex in the Seattle area, and they're you know going through the early twenties and trying to figure out dating and careers and a bunch of stuff. Um, and of course, you know, some people are in a band, um, mm -hmm. but it, it, it's good. It's Jeff and Matt um, from Pearl Jam. You know, he's in it, and he he you know added a lot of things to it, but he made a set list for the fictitious band. And one of the songs on the fictitious set list was called Spoon Man. And just as a fact, Spoon Chris Man. Cornell, Chris Cornell saw it, thought it was a cool name and decided to write a song about it. And you can hear a little bit of acoustic version of Spoon Man in the song. So that's how the do song need, Spoon Man came up. Do I need to fact check you on that? I know a lot of people that know, I know people that know a lot about Soundgarden. I, I, I do I need to fact check you, basically? Uh, you know what? Go ahead and fact check me, but I'm pretty confident in, in that um, fact. So Okay, cool anyways, story. Cool story. Cool story. Um, yeah, and, and there's a lot of um, – and I know Matt Damon, his, he was the singer in the band. Um, he, uh, his, all his clothes, I think, were from Jeff, Jeff and Matt, too. So um, like they were really Jeff's clothes, and, and he wore them. Um, that one you may have to fact check. But um, anyways, I'm, I'm not I, going I'm to. I'm pretty sure it was Jeff, though. But, you know, you got because it's a grudge scene in Seattle, you got a lot of Seattle type bands. You got Alice in Chains. You got Pearl Jam. You got Soundgarden, Mud Mother, Honey. Mother Love Bone. Yeah. Yep. Mother Love Bone. Uh, the Lovemongers, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, his, so doing a Zeppelin cover. Um, so, yeah, there, there's some real good, solid songs. In this, you know what basketball player makes an appearance in it? Sean Kemp. I'm just thinking Seattle Supersonics. Close. No. That's a good guess. Xavier McDaniel, the X-Man. The X-Man. You know, nice. So that same period as Sean Kemp. Yeah, good guess. The um, but anyway, the soundtrack it wasn't Westerberg. It wasn't Westerberg. He and Tongs on there too, right? Yeah, no, Westerberg. You know, he contributes two great songs. Two of my favorite, uh, "Waiting for Somebody" and "Dyslexic Heart." Um, and again, uh, the soundtrack came out three months before the film, which is pretty rare based on how, you know, we've been talking about how they all comes together. You know, there's a lot of negotiation yeah. that goes on, but it probably helped that the guys in the band were in the movie. So there was a lot of that yeah, and a lot of the scene. But again, R.E.M. has a song in it. Uh, Muddy Water, Sly and the Family Stone. Um, uh, the Cult, She Sells Sanctuary. I know one of your favorites. Um, you got a little I Hendrix. One of the scenes when the girl's going into a video dating service, which many people, you know, younger people won't know what that is, but that's pre-Tinder. Uh, like like, like Tinder? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Be, but before, um, when you actually had to make a video, um, they played Dig, Digging for Fire by the Pixies, which I thought was kind of a clever, like clever, clever little way there. Yeah. I get it. Um, I'm digging for fire. Yeah. I get it. Nice. So, again, a, a lot of great songs in the movie and it, because there's a band there's a lot of stuff that takes places in clubs and stuff so if you haven't seen it it's worth checking out um smashing pumpkins also have one and the other fact that you know cameron crow thinks that uh friends was kind of based on this a little bit they wanted to take singles and make it into a tv show they never did but then friends came out a little after that um and again not exactly i'm not buying thing. that one i'm not buying that one no, 
All right. Well, you don't have to buy it, but you know, you know, the, uh, you know, the whole scene of uh, having single people living in an apartment complex all together and kind of running into each other and being friends. That's what this movie's all about. That's what friends all about, you know, but aren't there a lot of, there's a lot of shows and things that are kind of like that. Well, yeah. If you look back historically, you got to go, how, how close was it to the, the birth? Right. So, Whatever. Yeah. You know, call Cameron Crowe a liar. Do what you want to do. You're not gonna you're not gonna be in any of his movies in the future. But anyway, <laughs> that's a it's a solid movie. Um again. I remember seeing it when it came out um at the theater, like literally like on the first weekend. It was it was it was cool. It was, it was a packed house and it was just it was a cool movie. It's cool time. Yeah, I think I think because it came out during the period, it was a, something that people that were into that scene can go see in real time of how it was being represented. So I, th- I, you know, yeah. overall it's good. I don't know that it holds up as well as some of our other movies, um, but I think from from the timing perspective, it was good. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I think I could go back and watch that one again. Um, sounds, uh, it sounds like it'd be really enjoyable. So singles, what a soundtrack for my first selection. I'm going to respond to the Gag Nation listeners, Scotty. I'm going to talk about Valley Girl. Oh boy, you're giving it to the mob. You're giving it to the noise. I love the listeners, my friend, and I actually do love the role music plays in Valley Girl. So I was doing a little research to make sure my facts were correct. And you know what I found out about the Valley Girl soundtrack? What did you find out? There was never an official soundtrack. That's what I found out. So Gag Nation, I feel vindicated because I'm going to talk about it anyways. But the reason I didn't talk about it the first time around or didn't think about it is that there wasn't one. Well, it makes sense that we, we wouldn't think of it because a lot of these soundtracks, I had the soundtracks, like the singles and some of these, you know, Days and Confused. But, you know, that makes sense. The only thing I remember about the movie was, well, Nicolas Cage and, and the Plimsolls, who we love, um, are in the yeah. movie. That's the only thing I remember. I don't yeah. remember the soundtrack at all. Well, I think in L.A. it was a big deal. And, and um, you know, just how I listen to music at that time, I'd go in my room, I'd get the album out, I'd sit there and read the lyrics and just read the liar notes and, and, uh, and all that stuff. I never, I, I, I ne- didn't have that recall because I didn't do it because there wasn't a soundtrack. But anyways, um, what happened in 1994 is the good folks at Rhino Records, they did release a, the Music of Valley Girl soundtrack and it's pretty good, my friend. All right, let me hear it. What's on it? Because I don't remember because I saw the movie, but I never had the soundtrack, obviously. What was well, there's it? stuff that the – I mean, a lot of these songs were all being played on K-Rock in L.A., so it was a big deal. I mean, it had the fur, uh, Cycle of Furs, Love My Way, Sparks, Angst in My Pants. Um, it had uh, Josie Cotton, jo- Johnny, Are You Queer Boy, The, the Plimsolds, uh, A Million Miles Away, and The Oldest Story in the World. So you said you did remember that, and I think it had Everywhere at Once on there. The Payolas, Eyes of a Stranger, really cool song with Bob Rock involved um, with that. But let me, I'm going to talk about it a little bit in the movie. Um, but to give it context, it all kind of started when Frank Zappa had this novelty hit called Valley Girl. And it kind of kicked off this Valley Girl culture, uh, cultural kind of movement, if you want to, want to call it. Did that song, did that, was that thing popular? Oh, yeah, um, it, was, it was very popular. In Chicago? Yeah. Okay, so annoying so and popular. Like happening here? You know, annoying and popular. Valley girl. Anyways, the movie followed um, right after all that stuff hit in 1983, and the budget for the movie was 600k, but the music costs were 350,000. So 60 percent of the cost of the movie were wrapped up in music. Crazy. Yeah, that that's a lot. That's surprising. That was a lot like Days and Confused, right? Yeah, but but Days and Confused put out two soundtracks. I mean, it's weird that they invested all that money and didn't put out a soundtrack. Could be bad budgeting, too. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? But you got to get to the root uh, of that. You guys in the music industry are supposed to be making those things happen. I mean, 1983, the music industry wasn't even a glimmer in my eye at that, uh, at that point, my friend. So anyways... The movie was made and Frank Zappa was not happy about it and he would not license the song to the movie. That kind of kind of screws everything up a, a little bit. But um, the soundtrack did have all these local bands uh, from the L.A. area. I don't know if they're local bands. Some of them were, but they were all things that were getting tons of exposure on K-Rock in L.A. So um, as my buddy Halsey mentioned, he said the Plimsolls, they were basically the house band in the in the uh, movie. Um, some of the other songs I hadn't mentioned, uh, yet that were in their felony, the fanatic, that was a big song in, uh, 
in L.A. None of this stuff made it to Chicago, right? Yeah, that one, that, that one did not. Gary Myrick, she talks in stereo. You know that one? I don't. You're missing that. He had a cool song called Guitar, Bass, uh, Drums, I think is what it was called, um, as well. So, anyways, um, great stuff. You know, Nicolas Cage, it's his first kind of role, really. I was going to say big role, but I think it's pretty much his first his first role. He he plays an outcast punk that wins over the prim and proper Valley Girl, and it's all soundtracked by this uh, amazing music and pretty predictable um, of what it is. But you know, when you're 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. I mean, it's good stuff. Yeah, I just remember loving seeing the Plimsolls because at that point I'd never seen them and I was a big fan. Well, there's a good scene in there. It's a, it's a great scene where Nicolas Cage, um, he basically gets dumped and he drowns his sorrow at the bar to the Plimsolls playing oldest story in the world and it just sets the tone perfectly. So if you're talking about the Plimsolls, you probably remember because of that. Yeah, no, I love Peter Case. Yep, yep. What about the Plimsolls? You just like Peter Case? The other guys don't matter? No, they did, but, you know, they only had a couple albums, and then Peter was solo, so. All right, so uh, um, I know they were a million miles away. But one last thing on the music. In the end credits, there was a mention of The Clash, the jam, Culture Club, but these songs never made it in the movie. Um, They had problems acquiring the rights, and at the last second, they just dubbed other songs in. Um, so it kind of explains why the soundtrack didn't happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess they really probably didn't get nailed down everything they needed to nail down. Right. I mean, the movie was coming out and they couldn't wait. Yeah. They were probably just scrambling at the end and they're saying, well, we haven't got the soundtrack out in the, in the, the studio executive probably said, screw the soundtrack, putting the damn movie out. Let's go anyway. So, uh, um, Valley girl. So we covered it. So, Scotty, we're back. What's up next, my friend? Well, one of my favorite movies, um, High Fidelity. So this didn't make the cut last time because it was just borderline 2000. Um, it but, was, but it was filmed in 1999, so we're in. Yeah, we're taking some liberties there. So, um, anyways, this movie's all about, you know, take place in Chicago, even though the book took place in London. And, and what it's really about is, a guy's failed relationship. But what makes this a great movie soundtrack is um, it takes place. He owns a record store in Chicago. So there's music all over the, the movie. They, they viewed like 2000 songs to nail it down to about 70 that are played throughout the movie. Cause it's constantly in the background. Cause anytime they're in the record store, there's music playing. Right. And then they're at, do I, need a, do I need, do I, do I need to fact check that 2000 songs? Times four minutes a song. That's like uh, um, 8,000 yeah. hours, 8,000 minutes. Is that right? It's like 130 well, hours. But I, that's, a lot of, well, that's a lot of songs. Well, it doesn't mean they have to listen to every song. I could, I could pick songs for a movie without listening them all the way through. So, and and right. songs, don't, songs don't get played all the way through. But anyways, it's more Fair the comment. mood of, of, of the thing. So anyways, so in, in this... In this uh, movie, you know, he's going through all his relationships and he uses music as a big key to why they failed, etc. And certain songs remind him of certain things. And there's scenes where he's going through and he's got all his albums and he's trying to put them in different orders. And there's a lot of stuff going on. And, you know, Bruce Springsteen makes a cameo in it about a dream because he thinks he can help him with his female, re- his female relationships. Um, you know, the boss has a lot of answers, I guess. But anyways, so it's, it's really good. Um, you know, what's happening is in this movie is one of the things that we do all the time and it's a big part of the gag nation is one of the things they do in this movie is because they work in a record store, Bill, and you, you know, people that have worked in record stores, right? Oh, I do. I do. I do. They're, 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 uh, they're uh, an acquired taste. Yeah, for right. sure. Well, you know, they, they have a lot of opinions, right? And, and yeah. so there's a lot of opinions. But one of the things is when you have a lot of opinions, you come out with stuff like we do on Gag Nation. And it has, you know, you know, they would come out and say top five songs that open a debut album. Right. And they yeah. would list them off and they would banter about it. Just like music geeks do like we do and stuff. Yeah. Um, so we get, so we, we get that Scotty because we do stuff like that, but just for the listeners, I, I do need to kind of just explain it a little bit. I mean, have you known anybody that's worked in a record store for more than like, 
like for a couple of years or something? Because they definitely have a, char- uh, uh, a character profile. Yeah, why don't you explain the character profile? Because I'm sure it's the same one I'm thinking of. I mean, they're basically like pained and suffering um, individuals. They basically have a PhD in music knowledge and they just see, can't seem to understand why the general public has no clue about 95% of the amazing music that they know about. And to add injury to insult, they have to be polite to these mainstream customers that come in and they say things like, I think Bruno Mars is the best artist ever. And all they want to say is, actually, ma'am, he's not. He isn't even in the top 1,000. You just have no idea what good music is. I mean, that's what they really want to say. So that kind of just sums up what these guys are like. Is that What do you think? Do you think that's an accurate assessment? I think that's an accurate assessment. I, I would say that, you know, maybe – at one point, you and I were like that in our lives. You know, we, we would do that. <laughs> but I would also say now, I think we're more in the mode of, hey, if the music makes you happy or it makes you think, God bless you. Go on and, and If it makes you it. happy, does whatever you listen. You want to listen to crap, go listen to crap. That's fine. That's fine. Good. I'll, I'll, that's, more power to you. That still sounds a little hostile, Bill. It sounds <laughs> like you could still be working at the record store. But anyways, but you know... You know, we love lists. Gag Nation loves lists. We love comparing things, right? And that's what they do a lot in this movie, and it, that's a lot of fun. And Jack Black is in it, and he's one of these pretentious record store guys, right? Someone comes in, and they want to hear, you know, Stevie Wonder, I just called to say I love you, and he sends, go to the mall and buy that crap. You know, we don't sell <laughs> that here, right? Just yeah. like you said. So, but but there's a lot of there's a lot of great um, music in, in the movie. Um, you, you got all over the map because it's a record store. You got things from Dylan to Jackie Wilson to the Kinks to Lou Reed to Bow Wow Wow. They talk about Echo and the Money Man, Bunny Man, Jesus and Mary Chain, Liz Fair. Yeah, love the chain. But, you know, so there's just a, there's a lot of song talking and talking about music in the movie as songs are playing in the background. So now they talk about, they they talk about how you file. So I got a question, how you file records and things like that. So I have a question for you, Scotty, how many like CDs and records do you have? I just, so I can just get context here. I I don't know. CDs, I don't know, 2000 records now, because I gave a bunch away when I bought CDs, I probably got about four, 400 Okay, so what's your so on your seat? So we we don't have all day. So, but on your CDs, what's your filing method? You do like uh, chronological, you do alphabetical. What do you do? Yeah, alphabetical, genre. and then yeah, no, not genre, uh, alphabetical. Um, and then I and I usually do you know from if it's say it's the Beatles and their first release all the way through. But what I also do is I'll put bands, you know, that are all together members of the band. So after the Beatles you'll see Lennon, McCartney, Harrison, Starr, right? So they'll all be, so anything Beatle related would be all under B for Beatles. What about Yoko? So what about Yoko solo stuff and Sean Lennon's uh, solo stuff? Where do they go? Um, Yeah, don't have a ton of the Yoko solo stuff, but if I did, it would go, it would be go Beatle related, which is, you know, which is not a bad problem, except for, you know, my wife doesn't really understand a lot of that. Yeah. But she'd never, you know, she would, I would always be pulling out the CD. So it's really, it's a filing system for me versus anyone else. Well, the Beatles are pretty easy because everybody knows the individual members and, and, and things like that. It's when you kind of get into stuff that's a little bit more obscure, it may be um, a little more difficult or something like that. So, or if you have people in multiple bands, like I'm just going to use the faces, for example, with Rod Stewart yeah. and Ronnie Wood. Does that go, you know, with Rod Stewart? Does it go with the Stones and Ronnie Wood solo stuff? It just, but you know, since I'm the one doing the organizing, you know, you know, I it. know where it's at. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I could. Uh, how about various artists or soundtracks or whatever? You just put them at the end. What do you do? Yep, soundtracks always at the end. Miscellaneous compilations, etc., all at the end. At the end. If, if soundtracks are say that, funny thing is, is that go ahead since we're talking about soundtracks if soundtracks are at the end you're like six foot seven or six foot eight right so does that mean it's always on the bottom right corner of the shelf like you got to get down on your knees and everything to look at that i mean how do you deal with that yeah that's what you got to do you got to find the music billing right. you know <laughs> you didn't expect that question yeah. did you <laughs> 
No, I didn't. I didn't. Okay, you know, that's a sidebar. Sorry, guys. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's get back focused here. So, anyways, so a lot of great songs in the movie. There's a there's lots of great scenes. Probably one of the greatest scenes was deleted out of the movie. And is where a, a, a spurned wife is selling her husband's <laughs> record collection, forty oh, fives and albums. So good. And she wants <laughs> she wants to sell it for like and literally there's like thousand albums and forty fives, and she wants to sell them for like forty bucks. And John Cusack just can't do it because he knows he's got a heart. She's just doing it to spite him. <laughs> Even though he's looking through the 45s and he finds like the Sex Pistols, God Save the Queen original. You know, there's only like 12 of them that exist. Um, but yeah, he couldn't do it. He couldn't take them all. Even though it would have been great for business, yeah. he knows it, you know, it, it could be him, right? Yeah. It'd be like if our wives somehow want to get rid of us. They know that would be a tough thing. All the sports and music stuff would be, uh. you know. Yeah, we, be available for cheap. <laughs> take my cars, take everything else, but don't take my sports and music yeah. memorabilia, man. I would die. <laughs> I know exactly. So that that's the part. That's how. But he couldn't do it. So there's that. There's there's a little bit of that scene in the movie, but there's a great added scene that's been deleted. You can find on YouTube. But again, I'm not going to go anymore because uh, we kind of bantered there for a little bit. But it's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, Jack Black is great. Cusack is great. Um, anyways, that's it. And you actually watched the reboot on Hulu of uh, the TV series that they did, right? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. It wasn't as good as the movie, but, you know, it, it, it was still cool. You were fired up on it. Uh, I could have I went through the whole thing, but, like, Teresa pretty much shut it down after the second one. She said, this just isn't very good. That's what you said. It's I, you know, sometimes you just gotta throw in the towel. I was I, I was okay with it. I wasn't loving it, but um, so I kind of threw the towel in. So, anyways, yeah, all right. Speaking of throwing in the towel, all right. Um, so good choice there, Scotty. So I'm gonna actually talk about a movie and a soundtrack that came out in 1997, and probably something you wouldn't think would have a killer soundtrack, at least a killer rocking. Uh, soundtrack and that's Romeo and Juliet yeah you don't think uh, Shakespeare and rock and roll together usually Billy well here's the difference the movie was directed by Baz Luhrmann and he's kind of known for incorporating music into his movies like really putting the music uh, out front so he did The Great Gatsby he did Moulin Rouge he did Strictly Ballroom and all those albums had like all these original tracks for him and um mashups and remixes and all kinds of killer stuff on him so that's kind of his deal and this was no um and Romeo and Juliet was was uh, no exception to that rule so um it had a bunch of cool unreleased tracks from big alternative rock bands so and these record these songs weren't out yet um um on albums so the only place you could buy them is on the soundtracks if we had mentioned before so garbage number one crush was a huge song at the time radiohead had some new music on there everclear um, uh, the Cardigans, Love Fool, Butthole Surfers had a cool track on there. Um, yeah, so it was uh, it was a, it was a rock and cool record. Yeah, I'm not I'm not super familiar with that movie, but it sounds like you had a lot of great tunes. Yeah, I wouldn't expect you to kind of um, like all of a sudden see Romeo and Juliet and tell Piper, "Let's go see Romeo and Juliet." I was working at the record company. We had the soundtrack, so that kind of put me in the middle of it. Otherwise I probably wouldn't have, uh, I, I probably wouldn't have uh, ventured in there. But anyways, the music is super key um, in here. Just I'll give a couple of examples. So one um, in the story, Romeo, he's played by young Leonardo DiCaprio um, at the moment. He's just sitting on the wall, smoking a cigarette, looking like a cool dude. Um, it's when they intro him and the song playing in the background, Radiohead man, the talk show host. Uh, cool song, cool song. If you're familiar with it. Um, so and then another pivotal mo moment in the movie is when Romeo finds out that Juliet is dead and it's set to the scene of Garbage's number one crush. So, you know, Shakespeare wrote the lines to say, I will lie with thee tonight. Well, Shirley Manson from Garbage, she starts out the song moaning. And then the first verse goes, I would die for you. I would die for you. I've been dying just to feel you by my side to know that you are mine. It's, that's some pretty deep stuff, right? Yeah, it sounds like it. You know, Shakespeare's a deep guy. Yeah, so, yeah. So, anyways, you got to check it out. It's a cool soundtrack. We actually, I was actually in charge of reissuing a 10th anniversary edition of the album, Scotty. 
Yeah, how did that do on the reissue? It did pretty good. Did pretty well. I mean, the 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 original album was like four times platinum, so it was huge. But there was also a volume two that kind of had a bunch of uh, throwaway tracks on there. But it did have a, a cover version of Prince's "When Doves Cry," which was uh, um, which was pretty cool. So we kind of we we kind of added it on there. And then there was also Baz Luhrmann had this um, this song called "Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen." And we um, we kind of did an updated version. Have you heard that song before? I have not. You're missing out, man. You're missing out. I mean, it had like a two-week moment, literally two weeks, where it was just like all over all different radio stations all around the country. Maybe you're, at, maybe you're on vacation or something out of the country at that point. But uh, um, it was kind of this spoken word that was really cool. So we took it and... Uh, we just kind of updated, even though it wasn't in, it didn't have anything to do with the movie. It had to do with Baz Luhrmann, and we uh, uh, we we stuck it on there, and the, the did pretty well. So I was pretty happy with that. All right. So, uh, anyways, that's uh, Romeo and Juliet. So Scotty, when we're kind of going through all this stuff and and deciding what we're gonna. Do, um, we almost had a, an om- another big omission. So we have a late add to the program right here, right? Yeah, well, you know, I watched this movie a couple of weeks ago and I thought, how did we miss it? And I sent you over, you know, and you looked it up and you said, I don't know how we missed it. So we're going to do a almost, quick... slipped, almost slipped through the cracks. It did. Uh, we're going we're gonna to do a brief little summary. But again, another movie I love, um, a comedy, which none of these have been that comedy based. Uh, maybe days and confused, but uh, anyway, great movie, Wedding Singer, great songs, right? So I'm not oh, ashamed yeah. to admit that I love this movie and the soundtrack, which I had both soundtracks one and two in my collection. Um, but you know, I, if you don't know the plot, he's a wedding singer. He gets spurned. It's a it takes place ten years after the fact, so there's a lot of retro jokes in it. Like he tells his girlfriend, "Take off that Van Halen." t-shirt before you jinx the band and they break up so there's a lot of good humor that way but but also a lot of great songs so you know because he's a wedding singer they sing some songs um in in there but you know listen to this soundtrack video killed the radio star with presence united states you really want to hurt me culture club police everything she does is magic how soon is now the smiths love my way the Furs, Hold Me Now, The Twins, Man. Um, Elvis Costello, Every Day I Write the Book, White Wedding by Billy Idol, who's in it, because his son was a big Adam Sandler yeah. fan, that's why he decided to do it, China the Girl. The airplane scene, the airplane scene he's yeah. in there, right? Yeah, oh, it's a classic, yeah. it's a classic. Yeah. China Girl, um, you know, Blue Monday by New Order. Um, How do I feel? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's just, that's on soundtrack one, the second album came out, it had Too Shy by Kaju Gugu. All I Can Do by the Cars, True, Space Age Love Song, Private Idaho by the 52s, Money by the Flying Lizards. Nice. You know, wow. so Dead or Alive, You Spin Me Round, Can't Get Enough, to Pest Mode, Love Stinks. So that's a lot. I mean, that's And there's a bunch of killer songs. There's a bunch of killer songs that weren't even on those soundtracks, right, that were also in the movie. Yeah, there's, a, there's other great songs. The soundtrack actually went to number five on Billboard. So, I mean, it did Damn. really good. But again, we're not going to get too deep into that because there's a late ad, but we want to say, it, you know, a good comedy, in my opinion. I'm not ashamed to admit it. And also killer, killer soundtrack all throughout the movie. So so I think I think here, usually what we do on Gag Nation, Scotty does one, I do one, Scotty does one, I do one. But because of the late ad, Scotty's going to go back to back. So what's your next one, Scotty? Well, the one I originally had picked, um, which is solid and, it's almost famous, Bill. So, you know, and this one is Cameron Crowe's life story in a roundabout way. Okay, hold way. on a second. Hold yeah. on a second here. You're like the president of the Cameron Crowe uh, fan club to start out with here. But uh, let's. Well, that's let's, not, let's... not true. But, but, you know, he has a lot of great music in his movies, whether it's about music or like, you know, Vanilla Sky, et cetera. But keep going. Go ahead. Give it so to anyway, me. So, anyway, so we talked singles, Valley Girl. High Fidelity, Romeo and Juliet, and The Wedding Wedding Singer. Not what I would call critically acclaimed works of cinema, right? But I think Almost Famous, I mean, that was critically acclaimed, right? 
It was. It was on a lot of people's top 10 lists of movies of the year. Roger Ebert loved it. It got four Academy Award nominations. It did win for best soundtrack. So, you know, we got that going for us. So Gag um, Nation, Gag Nation, we're talking about Academy Award winners here. Wow, Scotty, we're, uh, we're going big time here. Well, and a, and a couple of people in this movie have won Academy Awards. Francis McDonald plays his, her, his mom, and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman plays Lester Bangs, the famous wow. journalist from Cree wow. Magazine. So, Killer. Uh, yeah, and, they, and they're both great in it, as you would expect. Um, Kate Hudson's in it. Um, so anyway, it, it, you know, this is a movie about Cameron Crowe's life, right? Like he's, he, if you don't know it, at 18, he got to go on tour with some great bands, including Led Zeppelin, and he wrote articles for Rolling Stone, got his first article. I think Bangs told him to review a Black Sabbath concert and et cetera. So anyway, you know, it's his story, right, of how music changes life. Um, and there's some great scenes in it. Um, obviously, they follow this fictitious band. He, he does get to go and follow the band, this fictitious band, um, Stillwater. And, um, you know, it's all about the band and the, the trials and tribulations uh-huh. of being in a band, trying to make it, et cetera. But musically in the soundtrack, you know, a lot of great songs. So there's a lot of classic. Well, hold on, hold on. Let me ask yeah. you, let me ask you about the, uh, um, uh, about the plot there. I mean, think about it yourself. If you were 18 or 19 and getting to go on the road with like a rock and roll band that's that's starting to happen to cover them, I mean, how amazing that must have been for him. Well, right. And that's the whole thing. His mother didn't want him to go. There, you know, yeah, yeah. Because well, I went, as a parent, and my kid came to me and wanted to do that, it would like, the answer would just be no. It wouldn't even be, I wouldn't even discuss it. Yeah. Well, and that, that was pretty much, and they tried to get, there's a great edited scene where, they play Stairway to Heaven all the way through. So you can imagine seven minutes sitting there listening to the song, trying to convince her that art is music is art and it's not just all Satanism and stuff. And she wants him to go to law school. And that scene got cut out because Paige and Plant, who were friends with Cameron Crow and licensed Cashmere for Fast Times, yeah. the only time they had licensed a song to that point in time, they didn't want Stairway in the movie, and so they said no. So they had to delete that whole scene, which you can find Man. on you you can find it on YouTube. But they did license four other Zeppelin songs for for the movie. So, anyways, um, yeah. So, and again, a lot of, a lot of early stars in it. You know, Rain Wilson's in it, Mark Marone's in it, Zoe Deschanel is in it, Jason Lee, Billy Crudup. So it, it's got star power on it. Um, but again, back to the song. You know, there's just some great scenes. There's a when when his sister leaves to leaves home to go to Northern California. They're playing "America" by Simon and Garfunkel, which is a perfect pick for that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, she tells him to go look under my bed, and whatever what's there is going to set you free. And he doesn't know what it is. He goes in there, and it's just a, a bag full of all her albums, and it's like classic after classic: Pet Sounds, Stones, Yeah Yeah, great live album. Zeppelin, yeah. Hendrix, Axis Bold as Love, Cream, Dylan, The Who. So it's just, you know, the Beatles. I mean, it's just, it's perfect, right? Um, my bro- my I, brothers and sisters never left any records for me. They they left and they took it all with them. Yeah, mine mine left some behind, you know. But, hmm. you know, did all did all the Gag Nation, you know, the, the Ganyans, did they all stay in the local area? Mm, yeah, I guess. I guess they're within like a five to ten mile radius. That is that yeah. local? Yeah, that's local. So some some of my family moved out of the state, and I think when you're moving out of state, you probably left some stuff behind that you couldn't take. You know, yeah, valid point. You valid point. Uh, but if, if I was moving, my records would make it, though, man. My my yeah. records would be there. No, I hear you. Mine mine would too. So, um, anyways, there, there's a lot of great scenes and movies uh, in this movie. Um, songs "Search and Destroy" by you know the Stooges is in the movie. Um, Lester Bang plays it, and they keep telling him it's too early to play that song. And he says, it's never too early. You know, so, but probably the, the, like one, the one scene in this movie, and I do love the scene with David Bowie, and they play Waiting for the Man, the, the underground song, because all, the fans go nuts for him, and the Stillwater band gets kind of left behind and proves that Bowie's the man. But the, the classic Well, he is scene, the man. He is, he is the, man. the man. Of course he is. Right. Yeah. But I think I think that's just the thing about fame, right? Like at one point you think you're the hot hot thing going and people are talking to you and then Bowie walks into the hotel lobby and nobody cares about you anymore, yeah. right? Yeah. It's all yeah. about Bowie. But um 
Yeah, the big scene is kind of, you know, after there's a big meltdown with the band um, and they're not getting along. They're on the tour bus and, you know, they start singing, you know, one person starts singing Tiny Dancer, the Elton John song. And it, it really. Closer, tiny Dancer. Yeah. Yes, that's it. And then everyone starts singing along and it's kind of an iconic moment because the tour bus rolls on the road. In the end, music's bringing them all together and they're all singing loud and and they're back to having a good time and remembering why, you know, they're in the band and why everyone on the bus is involved in music. And so it's all good. Absolutely so. huge scene. Cause I think that song was not really that big of a song. I mean, I, I think it was a decently known song, but it wasn't like a big hit or anything. And I actually think that that scene helped elevate that song to where it is now. Yeah. Which I is think a popular a- song by Elton. Well, and I think people associate it with that scene, if you've seen yeah. the movie, right? That's why you know it. And you're right. It was kind of an album track. And the el- the song was probably, you know, 10, 15, 20 years old uh, yeah. by the time it got in the movie. So it wasn't like, hey, this is a song written for the movie. And we've seen that in some movies, right, Billy, that you, you see that happen at times. That yeah. Songs become iconic well after the fact because they're placed in a movie in a, in a famous scene. You know when that song came out? Uh, I died it's probably in the seventies because I, I it's on one of his early seventies albums. Yeah, nineteen seventy one. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was on uh, Madman Across the Water. I do, I do like that album. So isn't that crazy? Twenty eight years later, something can be kind of totally revised, um, and uh, and that, now it's still like in the public consciousness. Now it's crazy. Just well, Cameron Crowley's the man. Yeah, he is. And that's why the president of the fan club. I don't know about that. <laughs> I do like him, though, and I do like his, his musical selection. So almost famous Academy Award uh, winning movie. We cover it on the Gag Nation. So we're done discussing movies. What I want to talk about now is something that happens in a movie or a TV show, but it's something that creates a cultural moment. So Scotty was talking about Tiny Dancer in Almost Famous, where here's a song that basically had already had a previous life, and then all of a sudden the movie kind of helped resurrect it because there was such a memorable scene in it. So there's a few things like that that have happened. There's new songs that are created for movies, and these that you associate that song with the movie. So the first one I'm going to talk about is something that happened in the 1984 classic starring Eddie Murphy, Beverly Hills Cop. Now, I know you guys all love Beverly Hills Cop, a fine movie, fine comedy out there. But the one thing that really stands out in that movie is the title tune called Axel F by Harold Faltmeyer. It became a worldwide hit single and has since been covered by numerous artists. And whenever you hear that riff, do, 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 you think about this comedy classic from the era. What do you think about that, Scotty? I think that's totally true. I think there's a lot of movies and songs that connect like that that you you can you'll always connect. Yeah, for for sure. So another one is uh, Flash uh, Flashdance in 1984. It's not my thing, but it t- totally needs to be recognized for what it was. The lead track on there, "What a Feeling" by Irene Cara, just massive. And every time you hear that, you just think Flashdance, and that's uh, it was kind of the, the the same thing there. So the interesting thing about that song was. That album was on the charts and that movie just started becoming huge. So the album was actually on the charts for nine weeks. Um, And then on June 25th, 1983, it knocked somebody else that was on the charts for 17 weeks. The number, it was the number one record for 17 weeks. You know what that record was, Scotty? I have no idea. Michael Jackson Thriller. So that was taken down by Flashdance. And then Flashdance remained on the charts uh, for 78 weeks after that it's crazy how successful that song was so do you know who wrote the song um um what a feeling irene irene cara performed it but do you know who wrote it you know bill if you're going to ask me a lot of flash dance questions you're going to need to get another uh guest host i think <laughs> i'm not i'm not going to be very good at this I, I thought you were the musical expert i guess you have your wheelhouse that you're you're good there but anyways um, there's some gaps flash dance <laughs> is, a, is a gap okay well keith forsey does that mean he, he wrote the song? Does that mean that name mean anything to you? 
Uh, no, it doesn't. Sorry. <laughs> wow. I'm going to have to put you, I'm, I'm going to have to put you at the end of the bench on this one. Anyways, Keith Forsey wrote a bunch of, uh, uh, big hits for soundtracks in the, in the eighties, but, uh, um, he wrote most of the songs on the breakfast club soundtrack, including don't you forget about me. That was recorded by the simple minds, but I have a story here. Here's the story. The band simple minds actually rejected the song from Borsi. So then they went to Billy Idol. They asked him, they asked Brian Ferry, they asked the fix and they asked Corey Hart and they all said no. So then he went back and he pursued the simple minds again. They reluctantly agreed. They banged the song out in three hours. They just thought it was going to be a throwaway song and a throwaway movie. And uh, as it turned out, the rest is history. The song in the movie became Smashes and basically broke the band in America, which is just ironic because they're such a cool band with such a deep catalog and just such amazing music. But they're totally associated with that song. It's kind of a cultural moment as well, right? Yeah, that was, that was definitely a cultural moment. So you actually have some cultural moments to speak about um, of some movies, right? Uh, songs and, and movies. You want to talk about them? Yeah, and I think they're a little different than what you're talking about. You're talking about songs that were, you know, first released in the movie and became big in a cultural moment. Right. You know, I, I have a couple songs that were big hits beforehand and later, many years after, like Tiny Dancer, became resurgent in, in the popular culture. Got so, a life of their own, another, a second it, life. Exactly. And, and some of them have re-entered a chart, et cetera. And I'm just going to go through a few, but you know, one of the ones that always sticks out for me is uh, Reservoir Dog stuck in the middle with you when he's, you know, he's got the razor blade out. And for anyone that's seen the scene, they know what I'm talking about. Yeah. That was, that was a big hit like in 72, I think. And now it's, you know, resurrected and Reservoir Dogs in you know, the late eighties. Um, so that's one of them. Um, the end, the Doors song, the end that's in apocalypse now, yeah, although it's not 80s, but I'll take it. Is it no, 80s? I know. No, no. Who cares? Who cares? It's a, great, it's, a, it's a great movie and a great well, song. And it we really, can talk about it whenever we want. And, and it really re gave the doors a, a big resurgence, if you yeah. remember, in the 70s. That was one of the things. There was the book, too, and there was others. But it, it really brought the doors have been broken up for like eight years when it came out. So, yeah. I mean, it, you know, those, those things are uh, big. Um, more recently, well, Another one that's probably, I think this is still 70s, old time rock and roll from Risky Business. Maybe that's 80s. Um, yeah. But Tom Cruise dancing, you know, old time rock and roll was out for a while before, uh, you know. Brought back the tidy whities man. Brought back the tidy whities Yep. And just a couple other ones. More recent one is uh, Where Is My Mind Fight Club. Yes. Yes. Rob Farrington, my man, he had actually texted me after the first episode and mentioned that song and that scene specifically. So that's, that's one that really sticks out, you know, for, for making a good match. And again, that song had been out for a while and, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody and Wayne's world, you can think of yeah. by Dick Dale, which came out in the fifties in Pulp Fiction when Travolta and Emma Thurman are dancing, you know, yep. whole, whole big resurgence of that type of music, even the um, king of the surf after, guitar. Yeah. Well, after that came out, all people were going like, who's Dick Dale and people are getting into it again. And, and it became kind of a, a big hit again that everybody knows that song. You grow up in Huntington Beach, you know about Dick Dale, by the way. Yeah, a lot of the country, though, doesn't know about Dick Dale. I know he doesn't. I know he doesn't. If we ever go down to Balboa, I'll show you, uh, um, I'll show you his house where he used to live. So anyways, uh, those are just some of the examples of songs that really, many years after the factor, became cultural moments that people remember. And I think you, you can think of some like, you know, Sopranos ending. Yeah, the journey, don't stop believing. I mean, that right. kind of resurrected that whole song. Right. Everybody um, knows that song, but thinks of the Sopranos. Baby yeah. Blue by Badfinger. Yeah. You know, at the end of Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are these are songs that got resurrected and they recharted most of them. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I I think I don't um, the series uh, Six Feet Under. They had the song Sia and the song. I mean, the artist Sia and the song Breathe Me, and that was an incredible ending to that one. My wife can't even like watch hear that song without just thinking about that scene and she almost breaks down into tears every time yeah that, that's a that's a underrated show and if people are looking for something to watch during covid go dig that out it's on hbo yep yeah yep. absolutely so anyways um did we right the wrongs in this episode scotty i mean people were kind of thought we didn't cover enough stuff cover the things i think we might have righted the wrongs what are your thoughts on that 
Well, we could always go on forever and ever with lots of, there's lots of options, but I think we, we got some good choices in here and we did our best to cover the, the wrongs. And I know that we've been gone for a while, the Gag Nation, but Scotty and I have been working on some other episodes. We've got something on the, uh, the greatest live albums of all time that's going to really probably help our female uh, listenership. Um, and also the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees just recently came out, and uh, we're going to do an episode around that as well, right? Yeah, we may need more than one. There's a lot of opinions on there. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of opinions. A lot, a lot of talk about it, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I'm sure a lot of the Gag Nation have their own opinions about it, too. So if you got them, uh, um, let us know there. So anyways, um, we've covered a lot of ground um, today, uh, Scotty. Um, thanks for your efforts. Thanks for your research. Thanks for your knowledge. You do got to kind of bone up a little bit on your, you know, your flash dance and your fame and all that kind of stuff. But I'll cut you some slack. You know, duly noted to Gap. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a gap and you'll you'll wear you'll wear that gap with honor i uh uh i like it but we did we did cover two decades so what can you do we're going to post some of the we're going to post some playlists up on the facebook page you want to listen to some of these songs that we we had uh we had met, mentioned there but anyways um always love spreading the knowledge with uh with the gag nation here so scotty anything in closing nope look forward to the next episode Okay, so Gag Nation, that's it. The follow-up to the greatest movie soundtracks of the 80s and 90s, part two. You heard it here. I want to thank you, Scotty, for your valuable insight. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm sure you had your favorites, and let us know what you think about what we talked about, or if you have any opinions at all, get ready to hear about the greatest live albums of all time and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame episode. That's it, guys. Peace. I'm out. I'm not afraid of